Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your son. He bore the wrath. Paid our debt. We thank you that we are washed in the blood today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you've made provision and way for us. Every step that we've taken, you've blessed it. And Father, as the children have made their way down to the polytunnel to Children's Church, we do bless the leaders, the teachers, and the children. We pray, Father, also for the congregation here. We We think of them this morning, Lord, who cannot be here for one reason or another. Too many names to mention, but you know each and every one of them. When you comfort, when you bless, when you encourage, will you heal each and every one. Father, we thank you for all those that are here this morning. We pray now, Lord, that you would take the word and, Lord, that you would do with it what you will. For Jesus' name's sake, I pray and ask it. Amen. Zechariah 4 and verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For who hath despised the day of small things? It's quite easy when maybe you're feeling small. No matter what that is, whether it's spiritually physically, mentally, or whatever reason you feel small. And here in the chapter that we're in, we find that this chapter is, if you were here over the last few weeks, you'd have heard how in Daniel 10, the work in the temple had stopped. The Jews were released to go back to Jerusalem to do the work of the Lord, and it had stopped because of opposition, because of enemy attack. And the temple, after 15, even here it's thought it's now approaching 20 years. And now Zechariah writes of Zerubbabel's temple. That this temple is a thorn in the side to all those who are round about in Judea. Brothers and sisters, you know, the government closed down, as it were, the temple. The government closed down the temple in Jerusalem and so they found it difficult to reopen again. And if you remember Daniel, it says he was mourning three full weeks. In other words, Daniel being in mourning for three full weeks, he was mourning because there was no sacrifice, there was no blood. The temple in Jerusalem, it had come to a halt and it had come to a stop. The government had held back, if you want, the Jewish church at the time. They had said no more, but God had said something differently. And let us take courage this morning because sometimes we see all around us where many have never even opened their doors again. Many have never opened their doors and many will 
not open their doors even on the Lord's Day evening. Starts off with that force, but that force to stop the work of God, to stop the preaching of the gospel, to stop the preaching of the blood of Christ, that souls might be saved. To stop it, it is something against the will and the work of God. Zechariah was looking at the temple and he was looking at the will and the work of God. And as he's looking at it, he's thinking, Lord, what do we do with this now? We're powerless and we're small. We have nothing. The word here, for who hath despised the day of small things, the word despise is the word booze. Booze, and it means to hold in contempt and to hold as insignificant. Who are those up in that marquee tent? Despised, held in contempt, insignificant. But that's in man's eyes. The Lord says something different. For he has blessed and he has encouraged, he has saved, he has healed, and he has moved in various ways. So since God before us, who then can be against us? Is it not time that the church pulled up their big boy pants? Is it not time they put on their boots to start marching on? And is it not time that we turned our face to the Lord and sought for his help and his leading and his guidance? And maybe whether it's in society, in church, in worship, or maybe whether it's wherever you are personally, Small things held in contempt by man. Small things that are despised by man. Held as insignificant by man. Don't really count when you're in the will of God. Doesn't matter what man thinks or says or does. When you and I are in the will of God and doing his work, that's all that matters. Who would have thought that this work started with one camera on the desk? One behind the camera, one behind the desk. Then we felt the Lord calling us out the mission. To preach around the halls and put up other tents and so forth. And God kept saving and drawing and keeping. God kept moving. See, I believe and you believe in here in CET. We believe Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday and today. And forever. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. And if he's unchanging, then we're not consumed because he has fixed his great love upon us. I'm glad that I'm loved by the Lord. So glad that he's mine. In fact, you know the, the hymn we would sing on a regular basis, Their Savior, thou art mine. How sweet the thought to me. Let me repeat thy name and lift my heart to thee. You're mine. Mine, mine, I know thou art mine. And you know, whenever we are singing that, it's glorious. But you know the most glorious thing about that is not only that he is ours, but we are his. That we are his. Notice here, the eyes of God looks upon the unbuilt temple in Jerusalem. The eyes of God is looking and seeing that men have closed down the worship and everyone for 15 years 
now coming up to approaching 18 to 20 years something. And all of that time, listen, in Jerusalem, no sacrifice, no worship, no temple. And all of that time. Brothers and sisters, I find it hard to understand that over the last 18 months or whatever it is now, I find it hard to understand that, uh, that people as in believers who profess Christ are nowhere to be found. But rather they have become lethargic and lackadaisic. You know, they have become um, keyboard warriors and they have sat behind their computer screens and their TVs uh, to watch instead of being up and together. They, they, they have started to go into this lifestyle. One, because they think and say it's safer. And another one, because they realize they've just been lazy. Or maybe they're afraid. Brothers and sisters, whether it's myself or whether it's been our elders or those who have spoken on a Wednesday night from this pulpit, we have told you constantly, yes, there is something there. Yes, we could all catch. We must be careful and we must be cautious. But we should never be afraid. Fear is a spirit. And that spirit of fear will entrap a man, will entrap a woman, and they will never be able to get out of it. At least it will be so hard to claim the victory over it. For who hath despised the day of small things? Here they're building the temple. The walls are half up and half down. And they they even say here in Zechariah chapter 4, Notice if you let your eye run down to verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. But what he is saying here is this. Zerubbabel, you've went into the work of the Lord. Brother, sister, you have started in the work of the Lord. Whatever ministry it is, whatever you're doing, whatever, whether it's being faithful to God's house or prayer at home, prayer ministry, you know, here God has chosen a man, Zerubbabel, to build this. He's laid the foundation. Now it's come to almost a complete stop. And the Lord says, no, no, Zerubbabel, you can't run away. And you can't curl up on a ball to die. And you can't get out of this and you can't just shrug this. But you, Zerubbabel, you are the one who will finish it in my grace. So in other words here, when we look, if you'll let your eye just go back again to verse 6. We all know this very, very well. It says, he then answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice here, the Lord is saying, Zerubbabel, I'm with you. Child of God, I'm with you. He's promised neither to leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm with you. Why are you afraid? I'm beside you. I'm in you. Why are you concerned and anxious and afraid? And hence he looks at Zerubbabel. The Lord sends the prophet and he says, you have started it. I have called you to it. And you will finish it because I have ordained it so. 
You see, the problem is here sometimes in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we find that, you know, that dryness period of the, there's no worship. There's nothing as bad as a church bereft of the Spirit. And fear in the hearts of those who come into that house, fear will overcome you. And you'll be bereft of the Spirit of God. When he moves, you won't be aware of him. When he challenges, it may not be to your heart. But rather we should come with an open heart, ready to listen, to hear, and to receive what the Word of God says to us this morning. So Robert, you started it, you're going to finish it. And hence we, we see that in the book of Nehemiah, if you'd like to turn quickly to it. Go with me to Nehemiah, please. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are now burned? And Tobiah the Ammonite was was by him and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. You know what they're doing? They're mocking them. They're mocking their faith. They're mocking that they'll never get this done. And hence Nehemiah goes to build the walls. That's what the book is about. Hence he goes to build the walls of Jerusalem. We have Ezra there and also now we have Zechariah prophesying of this. Notice they're saying these stones are rubble. How could you build anything with that? Well, brothers and sisters, there are men and women whom God will save or men and women who God will save. And many of the church might want to turn their nose up at them. But see, when they're saved and washed in the blood, they're no longer stones that are dead and in the rubble, burnt and charred with light. You know what they are? They're called living stones, lively stones, building up the temple. That is you and I, the temple of the Lord. If a fox go up... It'll knock it over. So feeble, so frail. And so who has despised the day of of small things? Listen, you might feel insignificant and despised. But whatever you have, whatever you have in your own power, strength and will, give it to God. And if you give it to God, he will take it and he will use it. And he will bless it. He will bless it. Zechariah, no, not by might. I love that. Might seems to give the idea in the original text of a conglomerate of people. Not by a whole lot of people. Nor even power in the original text gives the idea of a singular tone. Not by a whole gathering. Not even by one superman as it were. But by my spirit saith the Lord. 
Lord, how can you turn Ulster around again? The United Kingdom around. What will you do with us, Lord? He says, it's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, saith the Lord. And brothers and sisters, we see here this morning that there are people maybe with little. People with very little. But you place it into the hands of your Savior this morning in spite of how you think it will be. God deals with impossibilities. And you might say, oh, I need a supernatural move. Well, the supernatural is only natural to God. Remember that. The supernatural is only natural to him. And he takes the smaller things and he uses them and he blesses them so despise not the day of small things. Don't despise the little things. A man says to me not so long ago, he says, when I think, Ken, of what you have done in this last year, you've trailed them people all around the country. And he says, how on earth do you get people to do that? And I said, I don't. The Lord does it. The Lord does it. And brothers and sisters, we might be in a marquee. We might seem insignificant to many, but I would rather be in the place of the, like the tabernacle in the wilderness. I'd rather be in the house where the Lord is present than where the doors are shut and we must sit outside. In Matthew 19 and verse 13, in Matthew 19, it says, But Jesus said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me. Notice, allow them in other words. So, you see, your children are important to the Lord. Your little ones, your babies, your children are very important to the Lord. He, here they are with their children, he says. They're saying, don't bother the master. Don't bother him. And he's saying, suffer the little children or allow them. Don't hold them back. Bring your children before me. And what did Jesus do? He blessed them. Want your children to be blessed? And follow the ways of the Lord. Follow Christ and bring your children to him. I love that old hymn, little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. So the man or the woman who feel little, who have no confidence, who are despised, maybe even put down all their lives here with their children and a person maybe who has been brought up a rough life, had a rough time, who have been subjected maybe even to bullies all their lives, who feel, who feel their lives are a waste and have no direction, no leading, no light, no hope, no plans or purpose. And that's your thinking. Nothing to offer this life. No gifts, no talents, no riches. No wisdom in this. And in me, there's no wealth, no happiness, or no joy, no strength. And I haven't got the will anymore. You know, during this whole time, there's more people taking their lives because they can't cope. Because they can't cope. The word of the Lord to you is, give it. 
into the hands of God. Give your little, give your weakness into the hands of the Lord Jesus. Give it to him and he will bless you. Listen to Psalm 18 and verse 35. And he says this at the end of the psalm. Thy gentleness hath made me great. He said to the Lord, David is saying to the Lord, your gentleness. We always look for God's power, don't we? We always look for God move in mighty power. Do you not know that God's gentleness is him moving in his mighty power? Is him moving in his mighty power? Remember, at an early morning prayer meeting one time for quite a, a period of time and there was a man called Alec Hull there and he had these two fingers cut off. Norman and Linda would remember him. He had these two fingers cut off and every time he got up to pray he was like this as if he was shooting a gun. Lord this and Lord that. And I remember I used to regularly say, Lord, your majesty, your power, your greatness, your goodness. You uphold all things. You've created all. And he just started worshipping him in his prayer about God's glorious greatness. And after coming off with it, your greatness, your goodness, and so on, what he would have done, at the end of it he says, but Lord, your love, is as great as your power. Thank the Lord his love is as great as his power. The great and eternal spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for you didn't start when you heard the gospel. His love for you didn't start when you heard the word of God. His love for you didn't start when you were first born and he says, oh, I think I like him, I think I like her. His love for you started in eternity. And there he sent his son to die for you. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we have this notion that God's greatness has to be in mighty move of power. But God's greatness is seen in his love. God's greatness is seen. See the word here, thy gentleness hath made me great. That's God's greatness. That the, the, the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, of the prophets, the God of the apostles, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here he comes and he makes David great. A shepherd boy, a nobody, one who his father didn't even bring him into the line when Samuel was going to anoint the king, the future king with oil. But God knew where he was. God knew he was in the field minding the sheep. And hence Samuel says, is this them all? And he brings in David. And he says, thy gentleness hath made me great. The word here for gentleness is the word anva. And I want to just look at it for a few moments. But it means to, it means meekness. It means humility. And it gives the idea of condescension. Meekness, humility, and condescension. Now, on a human level, you and I on a human level, you and I on a human level, we look maybe or talk with someone, and if they seem to be a little bit 
shown themselves to be proud or higher than yourself. We think they're talking down to us, and we would say, don't you condescend down to me. But unfortunately, the heart of every man and woman is like that also, because the condescension of God was greater even than David knew. The condescension of God was in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is he, he, uh, Paul has shown him in the glory that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich, that you and I are rich in Christ. Listen, the world's telling us, the world out there is telling us, you'll not be able to fly if you don't get a passport vaccine, or vaccine passport. You'll not be able to eat. You'll not be. Listen, I'm not sustained by the world. I'm sustained by the Lord. And that's not what draws me. Christ draws me. And the greatness of your Father is shown in the giving of His Son. I want you to catch it this morning. The greatness of your Heavenly Father is seen in the giving of His Son. Calvary was way beyond all other manifestations of love. Calvary is the the, the point where God says, here is the greatest manifestation of my heart. Here is the greatest manifestation of my love. Here is the greatest manifestation. Listen, for you and for me. I know who I was and where I was before he saved me. That he would not only condescend to come down to the cross, but that he would come right into the pit that I was in. Right into the muck and the dirt and the merry clay. And he came right down into the pit. As our pastor used to say, and he dug me out. I was stuck fast. I was stuck fast and I could not save myself. The depravity of my human nature ran from the crown of my head to the very tips of my toes. And there was nothing I could do but Christ came. And the Father, he sends his Son. There he comes and dies on the cross. There he says his blood that we might be saved. And sometimes you and I, not only like, do not condescend to me to another man or a woman. We say, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want to know you, God. Don't you condescend down to here for me. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm, I'm okay. But brothers and sisters, if God had a left us to our own devices... If God had led me or left me to my own devices, I could never have been saved. But rather, I'd have been headlong going to a lake of fire. God loves you. Your father loves you. I've let him down. Join the club. But I haven't let him down as much as her. Have you not? And I haven't let him down as much as him. And this one and that one. Brothers and sisters, we let the Lord down when we don't even know we have let him down. Thank God for his grace. For the blood that never loses its power. 
that we might be saved and kept. So, if you give your littleness, your smallness into the hands of God, he will make it great again. Great isn't to be puffed up and full of hot air. The idea of great really gives the idea he will lift you up from where you are. Isn't that lovely? I was thinking about this just on Thursday, sitting at my desk, and I was thinking about your gentleness. Imagine if God had came in full on mighty power. He just wiped the world out. But Lord, your gentleness has lifted me up. Maybe you're down this morning, weak this morning. Maybe your heart's in your boots this morning. Listen, his gentleness lifts you up. Come on, son, I still love you. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. He knows and he says he loves you. You don't know where I've been. I don't need to know where you've been. If you're not a danger to yourself or someone else, then I don't need to know. He loves you. How could we turn him away? Notice here that when we get to that time when we stand before God, there will be nothing, nothing of us, not even a choice, brothers and sisters. I'm going to say it again, not even a choice. There will be nothing that we will boast of because he chose us. He came for us. He bled and died for us. And he was resurrected again for us. He's ascended into glory. He's praying for us. Look, sometimes the pastor or the elders will get so many people, can you pray about this, that, or the other? And that's fine, we try and remember. But sometimes you go, who was I to pray for there? Jesus never does that. Never forgets you. Never forgets one of them. And he's coming again for us. So when he says here in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10. So let me turn to it for a second again. For who hath despised the day of small things? Oh, you're looking at the work of God in Jerusalem. And you're all thinking, you Samaritans who were there. Sanballat and Tobiah and the rest of their gang, as it were, the Ammonites, and they're all coming against the work of God. And here's what happens. God just speaks the word. And God says, listen, I started this with you. And I will complete it with you. See what he started in you, brothers and sisters? He will complete it. He will complete it. And so they're saying, oh, this temple, it'll never do, never be built. And in the meantime, Daniel is mourning for the lack of worship. And again, let me just stress this. When do we, when's the last time that we mourned because of the lack of worship? When's the last time you mourned and I mourned? I don't know about you, but when I'm on my own and I look and see what is happening to the church, talking about the body of Christ, 
I would get dismayed, only I know God is on the throne. I wonder, you know, where, where are you in all of this, Lord? Because it looks as if everything has come to a complete halt. And then maybe, maybe that's the Lord starting to sift his church. For people have been caught on, haven't they? Many have been caught on. Hannah, Samuel's mother, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8 says, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes to make them inherit the throne of his glory. So when Jesus dug me out of the pit, whatever your pit was, whatever way you were, maybe your pit was a little bit more cleaner than mine. My pit was a merry clay, a very merry clay. Deep pit. Whatever pity has come and he's taken you from. And brothers and sisters, we have to think of this. Here is a woman, Hannah, praying. And she says, the Lord brought me out of my pit. Out of my heartache. And he just didn't bring me out and say, there you are. You're a little bit clean. Off you go. Try not to fall into another pit, Hannah. Try not to fall into another pit, David. Try not to fall into another pit, Ken. Try not to fall into another pit. Didn't do that. Hannah tells us that he lifteth the beggar from the dunghill, the lowest of society. He takes the ones who people wouldn't even look at, and here he takes them like a diamond in the rough, cleans them up and polishes them, and there he sets them on to what? To inherit. So I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I know when the Lord comes, I'm going to rule and reign with him. He lifted the beggar up from the dunghill to set them among princes, notice, and to make them inherit the throne of his glory. What is that? I don't know. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. You might think, well, what am I worth? How really sad news that someone else has committed suicide not far from here. And there's been, it's been rife for the last, especially the last 18 months. And maybe someone's thinking, what am I, I'm not going to get the end of this because, listen, everywhere you go, it's where social media or mainstream media, you know, radio, television or whatever you're watching, it's on billboards now on the motorway, you know, flashing neon signs. Doom and gloom. It's all about fear, fear and fear. And everybody's fearing. And those who are weaker in heart and mind, are, they're, they're watching this, they're looking at it, they're reading it. And there's no other narrative to tell them. But here's the good news. But here's the blessing. But so on and so on. There's none of it, but rather, oh, doom and gloom and death and destruction and all of this stuff. But brothers and sisters, we have what is known as the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Good news. Glad tidings. We have the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is what changes the hearts of men and women out there. Those who are finding the doom and the gloom of it. 
Those who are finding it impossible, and they think in their own minds, in their own hearts, what am I worth? Sure, who am I and what am I worth? I'm only one among so many. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, this world can't afford you. Do you know why the world couldn't save me? Because it couldn't afford me. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire. It doesn't matter if you're a trillionaire. It doesn't matter if you owned every bond and every ounce of gold and silver and precious stones. It doesn't matter if you owned all the world reserves, oil reserves in the world. It doesn't matter. You are far more of worth. I don't feel like I'm more of worth. Well, the word says that you're more worth than this world. You're worth so much that the only one, the only thing that could redeem you, that could buy you a great ransom from someone, even if you got the elitists of the world and they were all of a sudden turned into nice sort of people who want to bless your heart and give you every single part of their riches. The only way if they got together and and offered it to God for your soul, if they offered it to God for your ransom, they offered it to God for the payment of you, of you, still wouldn't buy you. Still couldn't redeem you. Because you're worth more than that. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world? Or lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And yet, brothers and sisters, and yet we have men and women who shake the fist at God, spit against heaven. And we have those who are very religious and say, My religion will take me there. My doing, my works will take me there. When the word of God tells us, for it is by grace are you saved. Grace, uh, uh, it's, it's, when we receive that, when we do not, what we do not deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, only Christ could come And only his blood, being so precious to the Father, sinless, pure, holy, undefiled, separate blood, being shed by the Lord Jesus Christ, could pay your debt. And hence you turn Christ away. Hence you turn that finished work away meaning there's nothing else to do but receive. And hence you turn it away and you stand before God. There you will find yourself lost. God is just and justified to send you to the lake of fire. My time has flown. Notice Joel chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. Let the weak say, I am strong. Are you weak this morning, Christian? Believer, are you weak this morning? Come on, I am strong. Strong. 
Don't fail it. See, it's not your strength. I don't feel saved, Pastor. You know what? Maybe you don't. Thank the Lord for that because it's not on your feelings. It's on Christ's victory and what he has accomplished for you. It's on faith. Let the weak say, I am strong here. The word for weak is the word kalash. And it simply means to be frail. To be frail. And the word strong is the word gabor. It means, listen, to be brave. To be brave. I think sometimes the church has lost their bravery. They're not brave anymore. Not brave anymore. Think of the reformers. They stood against the might of the Roman Catholic Church. Think of the reformers who could either capitulate and say, Hail the Caesar, that is the Pope, and their lives would be spared. But rather they choose to go on to death. They choose to go on to death. The word here, weak, kalash means to be frail. When you feel you're prostrate, in other words, you're flattened out. Can't do this. And the Lord comes to you and he says, yes, you can, be brave. Come on, be brave. I'm a wee bit worried and concerned. Listen, we could all be concerned and worried. Be brave. Come on, be brave. It also means to be valiant. Be valiant in the fight, brother. Be valiant in the fight, sister. I'm looking here where to close because I've got about 20 pages, and that's the first one. I'll just have to leave that while I be for next week. The Lord Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my strength is made Perfect. What is it? Would you say perfect? Would you hear yourself say it? Perfect? You know what that means? His strength in you is perfected when you're at your weakest. When you're at your weakest, his strength is perfected in you, brother and sister. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'll stop with this saying of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. God accepts your little works if they are done in faith in his dear name. God will give success to your little works. God will educate you by your little works to do greater. And your little works may call out to others who shall do greater works by far than ever you shall be able to accomplish. Here's it in a nutshell. If you were to give up now, if you were to give up now, you see how many people have fallen away throughout this whole 
he attained months. But if you were to fall away now and give up now, if you were to give up now, who knows, but you were to light another torch with your own. That they would light others and others and continue on until there's a greater work to be done. Don't dwell on how big your storm is. Don't dwell on how how hard your task is. Don't dwell on the great impossibility before you. But rather dwell on how big your God is. Remember this. That which is supernatural to us is but natural to God. And we might have a great need of a miracle. Well, God may just have a great miracle for your need. You're saved. I trust you're saved. You're washed. You're cleansed. You're Christ's. There we go. Despise not the day of small things. Uh, if you do that, people just come out of the woodwork. When people come out of the woodwork to you, I know they'll do. They'll just discourage you, try and pull you down. No, but you're not serving them. You're serving the Lord. How things go, Rebecca? Isn't that brilliant? So she was in two weeks ago? Three? She's a nurse. At the minute she's in the COVID ward. And a certain man, unfortunately the man had his two injections, I think. He was vaccinated. The man was dying. No hope for him. Listen to this. He went to church for 30 years. He went to church for 30 years and was never saved. He said he didn't know he had to be saved. How does that happen? The man passed away because Rebecca went and talked to him about the Lord. And the man got saved before he passed away. And he said, Will you please tell my wife I've got saved? And she's just got saved this morning. She had a phone call to go around. And I was on my way here. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And you know what? There's there's Rebecca just in. How the laugh she says to me. This woman has phoned me. I'm going to go around and see her. I says, just be yourself. The Lord will direct you. And now this woman's got saved. She says, I'm going to come in on a hoodie and a pair of jeans, but I'm going to be late. <laughs> I said, just so you come on in, you're all right. And she went around and she led that lady to Christ. Isn't that fantastic, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? Last week, last Sunday was it, Robert? I'm losing my weeks. Last Sunday, after the meeting and the youth came in for their after church, I was sitting down there and I got a call about nine o'clock, I think it was. I was down there and the youth were all up here. And Robert says, sorry if I say, yeah, yeah. his brother-in-law, he's not great. He's 
worried he might not, he might not do. And he's away from Christ. So I says, I'll be around as soon as I can. I jumped into the car and I drove around out towards Rich Hill direction, I think it is. I got lost in those wee back rows. I'm a Belfast man, remember? And I went in and talked to him. And he wanted his wife to stay, Robert and Ruth to stay. And he says, no, they were going to get up and get out. And he says, no, stay. I talked about the Savior. And he says, I need to get saved. And he came to Christ. God is still moving, brothers and sisters. God is still saving. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not saved, but you know you need to be and you want to be. Come see me. Talk about it. Talk about it. Team, would you just come up, please?